0: This time, we're going to take the life of David. So David is an important character in the Bible. Um, he's an important person. David is mentioned over a thousand times in the, in the word of God. Over a thousand times. Now, you would think, well, is that a lot? Yes, that's a lot. Because some of the people that we know of biblically, guys like Abraham and Moses, are not mentioned nearly as often as David is. David is mentioned more than anybody else in the Bible. He is the prominent character outside of Jesus in the scriptures. And so, um, so I feel like it's important for us. If you've got someone in the Bible, you've got a person in history that's that important. We need to study them. We need to see what their life was like. I want to see their ups and their downs. I want to see their beginning and I want to see their end. And so today we're going to start with the beginning of David's story. And then by the end of the series, I want to end one of my one of the verses that I came across uh, during my, just my daily Bible reading was David's final words to his son. And, and in his final words, I immediately thought, this is, a, this is a sermon right here. Like, this is something I need to hear. This is something our people need to hear. And so by the end of the series, we're going to get to his final words. So we're going to try to go chronologically. I'm going to have myself and Pastor Mike, Pastor Nathan, they're all going to be preaching during this series. Um, if, if they want to, we're, we're opening it up to them. Um, so we're going to start with 1 Samuel chapter 16. And to give you a little background Uh, Today, we're going to go 16 verses 1 through 13. That's going to be it. Once we get to 13, we're done for the day. Um, But to give you a little background, this is in the country of Israel. Israel, up until um, probably 40 years or or 30 years before this this story, a little while before this, Israel has been governed by, by God. God was the one that led Israel. And he used a guy named Moses to lead Israel. After Moses leaves, a guy named Joshua steps up and Joshua leads the country. And then after Joshua dies, then they go through this time called the Judges. So if you ever look in your Bible, you got Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. That's Moses leading the people. Then you get to the book of Joshua. That's Joshua leading the book of Judges. kind of makes sense. The Judges are leading the people. And the Judges were a variety of different people that led the nation. But, But after the Judges... The final judge was a guy named Samuel, and the the book that we're reading from today is named after Samuel, and he was the final judge of Israel. And during his leadership, the Israelites cried out for a king. They looked around, and they saw all these other nations, and all the other nations had legitimate kings that sat on a throne, and, and they cried out for a king, and Samuel got his feelings hurt. And so Samuel's hurt because he's like, they're rejecting me. And God tells Samuel, don't worry, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me because I am the king of Israel. And now they want a human king instead of me. So Samuel gets his feelings hurt, but Samuel shakes it off and he goes and he does exactly what the people want. Um, God allows him to choose a king and he chooses a guy named Saul. Now, Saul is an interesting person in the Bible because the Bible says that Saul was taller than everybody else. He was a big guy. Um, he looked like a king. Just when you see Saul walk in the room, you're like, that dude's important, right? Like when he walks in the room, um, he's got all the muscles, all the height. You can tell this guy is somebody. It's kind of like um, when Matt Kensley walks in the room, I get, I'm very scared of Matt. Matt's a big guy, right? And so, um, and so it, when you see that guy, you just immediately know. And so that's who Saul was. Um, and, and here's the problem with Saul. Saul ends up sinning. Saul messes up. And, and it's not just a matter of messing up. It, it's a matter of, of what he did when he messed up. It was a, it was a matter of, of lack of trust. It was a matter of, of willfully disobeying God's word and, and disobeying what God wanted. And, and, and at the end of the day, God didn't want Saul to be king anyway. And so, and so whenever Saul messes up, the Bible says that God took the throne from Saul. He, he told Saul through Samuel, he said, tell Saul, I'm taking the throne away from him and I'm giving it to someone else. Now, even though God said that, he didn't immediately strip Saul. Saul's still the king. He's just not a very good king. And so we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And in this story, here's what the Bible says. The Lord, now the Lord said to Samuel, verse 1, you have mourned long enough for Saul. That's an important verse. So if you're highlighting today, highlight that first part. I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So, so here's, the way, uh, here's the way this sermon is going to work. As I read through the scriptures, there are going to be things that pop out to each one of you, okay? Okay. Some of you, and the reason I'm saying that is because some of you right now, what I'm about to say, you're going to identify with Samuel and you're like, yeah, but this is a message about David, but it's really the story of Samuel that's going to to catch your heart. Some of you, it's going to be Samuel that's going to catch your heart. For some of you, it might be Jesse that catches your heart, but God's going to speak through this entire scripture, a variety of things. So there's not one topic we're going to hit. We're going to hit a lot of topics today. So here's the first thing I want you to notice. God notices that Samuel is mourning. Samuel is in mourning. Samuel is upset. He's sad. He is depressed and discouraged. And God tells Samuel, he says, you have mourned long enough for Saul. Now, why, why am I pointing that out? I'm pointing that out because I feel like there's a lot of us in life that we have, um, we, we have a dream that doesn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out. We have a business that doesn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out. We have a relationship that doesn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out. We, we have something going on in our life that just doesn't happen the way it was supposed to happen. And I want you to see that Samuel, he thought, he thought that Saul, because Samuel selected him, Saul was his boy. And now Saul is a failure. And so Samuel is thinking, I'm a failure. Because Saul didn't work out. Samuel feels like he's the one that was a failure in the situation. And I just want you to see that there is a time for mourning. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, 4, he says there's a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. I want you to know something today. God is not surprised by your failure. God is not surprised by your broken dreams. God is not surprised by the things that are falling apart in your life. As a matter of fact, not only is he not surprised, but he already has a plan For your future. He already has something waiting for you on the other side. So, so something I want you to think about today is it says this, he's already working on that next step for you. So just because the first thing that you thought was broken, didn't work out, doesn't mean God doesn't have something better. There was a guy that came to our church a while back. His name was Bob. And, um, and it's funny. We went through a rash of people coming to our church named Bob and Michelle. Isn't that weird? We had three different couples at one time come through our church named Bob and Michelle. That's just an odd thing to have happen. Odd names to have in together, but we did. So the second Bob and Michelle that came through our church, um, one of the things that happened to them is they had a church um, here in the area and the church absolutely died off on them. And when I say died off, I don't mean just people stopped coming. I mean, most of the people in the church were so old that as they died off, there were no young people to take their place. And it literally, the church just kind of fell apart. And Bob, Bob felt very hurt. He felt very hurt by, by those around him. He felt very hurt that, that he had drugged his family all the way to Alabama and, and lost this church that he had and, and didn't have anywhere to go. And so, um, so one day, uh, Pastor Jonathan had, had worked on a relationship with Bob. And, and so Bob just showed up at our church. And, and him and Michelle came, and they sat and, and they sat here for a while, kind of in mourning, Kind of in mourning, they had, They were mourning the loss of their dream. They were mourning the loss of their livelihood. They were mourning the loss of of their what they felt like was their calling, and they weren't sure. They weren't sure what was going to happen. And so, I remember Bob would come sit in staff meeting with us, and, and and he would tell me later on. I didn't know this at first. He would tell me later on. He said, "Gabriel, I wasn't even sure that I was that I had faith anymore." He said, I was so hurt and I was so broken, I wasn't even sure if I had faith anymore. He said, but, but as I've just come to the church and as I've just sat and just, just listened and, and just worshipped, he said, all of a sudden I felt like God was doing a work in my life. Next thing you know, this is an amazing story in my opinion, but the next thing you know, Bob ends up leaving here and moving to Pennsylvania and he took a church in Pennsylvania. And as he took that church in Pennsylvania, he calls me every so often and he'll just say, you'll never believe like the growth that's happening in our church. You'll never believe the the financial things that are happening in our church. You'll never believe the opportunities that are happening in our church. What happened? Here's what happened to Bob. Bob went through a season of mourning and that's okay. But at some point, the Bible says, you gotta pick up your flask and go. At some point, you gotta fill up your flask and you gotta go. There's a job God has for you. There's a purpose God has for you. And you can't sit in mourning all day. There's a time to mourn. And there's a time to dance. And there's a time to go and do what God's called you to do. The other thing I want you to notice in that, in that first verse, and I promise we'll, we'll move quicker after this. But it says that God selected or God chose. So going back to verse 1, um, it, it says here, it says... Uh, I've rejected, it says, I've rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil, go to Bethlehem, find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons. God has selected, this is not man selecting, this is God selecting. In other words, God has handpicked somebody to take over Israel. And and we're going to back up just a little bit in 1 Samuel 13, when God takes the throne away from Saul, I want you to look at what God says to Saul. I think this is important for the rest of the verse today. It says, but now your kingdom must end for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. That's important. That's important. God says, I'm taking the throne away from Saul. Why? Because I've sought after I've selected, I've looked for, I've found a man after my own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept The Lord's command. So what is it that creates a man after God's own heart? We're going to skip ahead in David's story for just a second, and I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background on Saul's story. But I want to give you three differences between Saul and David to show you what a man after God's own heart looks like. See, the first thing is this. Saul always saw himself as king. Saul always saw himself as king, which led to a lot of insecurity, led to a lot of pride. And so at the whole time Saul sees himself as king. When you see yourself as king, then you are going to defend your throne no matter what. When you see yourself as king, everybody else is trying to get your throne in your eyes because you're insecure and you're paranoid when you see yourself as king. But David was different throughout David's life. David always refers to God as being king. David puts God on the throne, not himself on the throne. The other thing that's a difference between the two hearts is this. Saul, the the way his heart was, when Saul was confronted with sin, he blamed everybody else and he made excuses. There were times when Saul was confronted with sin and he always wants to blame other people. Well, it's his fault and it's her fault and it's their fault and and, and it's not really my fault. And and here's my excuse for why I messed up and here's my excuse for why I failed. But the fact is, David messed up too. We will go on. We'll see this later on where David commits adultery and murder in the same chapter. These are really bad things. But there's a difference because when David is confronted with his sin, the Bible says he repents quickly. He has a soft, pliable heart. So when God's looking for someone, he's looking for someone that, that recognizes him as God. And he's looking for someone that has a soft, pliable heart. He's not looking for perfection. He's not looking for sinless. He's not looking for that person that never makes a mistake. He's looking for someone that's willing to own their mistake and repent of it. And then a the third little aspect that I feel like is important is that Saul always feared people, despised people, abused people. Saul was always afraid of others. Saul tried to kill people that, that he felt like were a threat. And, and here's what David did. David loved people. We'll read some more stuff about David later on this month, but, but we'll read where David took in worthless people. David took in the depressed and discouraged and the, the cast out, and he took all these people in, and he raised them up and turned them into mighty warriors. But Saul, on the other hand, Saul was always fighting against his own people. Saul always had a problem with somebody else. And that's the difference whenever you have a heart after God versus a heart after self. And so those are the differences. And so what is God looking for today? He's looking for people that have a heart after him. So let's skip down to verse two. Y'all are like Gabriel, you have preached for a long time and we've made it to verse two. We'll go fast. But Samuel asked, how can I do it? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna do that. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied. That's a cow. And say that you've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you which one of his sons to anoint For me, I just want to point out real quick, God tells Samuel to anoint someone for himself, right? God is choosing someone that he wants for himself, for his purpose, for what he wants to do. Another thing I want you to notice is God did not tell Samuel to lie. Some people like to point that out. Well, he told him to take a heifer and say he's doing a sacrifice. He absolutely did a sacrifice. And I just want you to know there's sometimes in life whenever your life needs to be preserved and Samuel's trying to watch out for his own life, he's trying to secure his own self, that maybe Saul just doesn't need to know all the information, right? So he just gives him a piece in case he needs to know. So then that brings us to verse 4. Verse 4 says this, So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Now, that may seem kind of odd if you haven't read Samuel's story. Earlier in the Bible, in 1 Samuel, the Bible tells, uh, God tells Saul, I need you to wipe out the Amalekites. Go to war with them, wipe them out. And this is a sermon in and of itself. My dad preached when I was a little kid, and I've always remembered my whole life. But the Bible told God told Saul to wipe out the Amalekites. And one of Saul's big sins was that he came back with all the plunder. He came back with the best animals. He came back with the best people like Saul kept a lot of stuff. He even kept the king of the Amalekites. And wouldn't you know it whenever Saul is facing death later on, guess who comes along to kill him? An Amalekite. Yeah. So that's a sermon all by itself. If you don't get rid of the stuff in your life that God tells you to eliminate, those things can come back to bite you later on. So when God says get rid of it, get rid of it. Move it out of the way. But, anyways, that's not what we're talking about today. Here's the cool thing, or the not cool thing, the crazy thing. So, whenever Saul brings the king of the Amalekites back, Samuel says, God said not to do that. You're disobeying. God's taken the kingdom away from you. And the Bible says that Samuel took a sword and he killed the king of the Amalekites right there in front of everybody. So now whenever he shows up, right, in Bethlehem, everybody is scared of Samuel. They're like, this dude will straight kill you. Like, he's got a cow, but I know he's got a weapon. And he will murder us. And so they're all scared. And Samuel's like, no, man, it's all good. Verse 5, Samuel replied, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice also. Now, this is a different kind of sacrifice. There were sacrifices in the Old Testament where you're sacrificing for sin. And there's sacrifices where you're sacrificing for guilt. This sacrifice is just kind of like a worship, but at the end, everybody gets to eat. So it's basically like a barbecue with worship on the front end, right? And so the people are pumped up. At first, he was going to murder us, but now he's just murdering that cow and we all get to eat together. Right. So it's funny. I've got this in my notes. I'm not even lying. Like I'll show you later. But um, but Jake and Melissa get talked about a lot in church. Right. And it's because they have made the mistake of sitting on the second row and I'm not even wearing my glasses today so I can see the second row. I can't see you guys in the back, but I know where Melissa's sitting and she's got her mom with her today and her brother. Thank you for being here. Um, But I've got it in my notes that I was going to talk about this because I went to their wedding. I went to their wedding and in Columbia, They do weddings a little bit different than we do, right? And they do parties a little bit different than we do. So we're going to go to their house and we're going to have a barbecue. But guess what? You don't just show up and the meat is already cooked. You don't just show up and the meat is in the package. You show up and the meat is still walking around. And that pig was walking around and all the kids are petting it and all the kids are riding it and they're getting selfies with the pig and the pig's smiling and he's having a big day until Melissa's dad comes up with a knife and just, whoom, and the pig just screams and dies. And all the kids are just mortified, right? No, I'm just kidding. All the Colombian kids, they were excited and they're putting blood on their face like a bunch of little warriors and all the Americans are freaking out. Yeah. And so and so they butcher the pig right there on the ground in front of all of us. And they were like, Gabriel, Cam, grab the pig and take it up the hill. So here's me and Cam. We're toting this pig up the hill. We got blood all over us and we get up and we throw it on a white table. And her dad and her uncles, they just start chopping this bad boy up and they start cooking it. And let me tell you something. I went to that meal hungry. I did not know that it would be three hours later. Because you gotta butcher the, you gotta pet the pig, you gotta take selfies with the pig, you gotta butcher the pig, and then you gotta cook the pig. And I was dying, but I finally ate the pig, and the pig was delicious. Very fresh, very fresh. And that's what was happening in this story, right? Samuel shows up and he says, We're gonna butcher this pig, I mean, this cow, because the Jews, they don't eat pigs. And so he butchers the cow, he, he chops it up in front of everybody. Probably didn't have me and Cam helping to pick it up. But he had somebody else to do it. And they cooked the cow right there in front of everybody. And so while they do, he's calling, he's calling for Jesse to bring his sons. Because Jesse had a whole bunch of sons. So that picks us up in verse 6. Verse 6 says this. When they arrived, Samuel took one look. Talking about the sons of Jesse. Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Why did he think that? He thinks that because Eliab was good looking. Eliab was tall. Eliab was strong. And Eliab was everything that Saul was. And and so, so Samuel looks at this guy. He looks at the outward appearance and he says, this is the guy that God wants to anoint to be king. And isn't that just like us? To look at the outward appearance. We look at the outward appearance. There's a, there's a quote I, I thought of, and, and as I was writing my notes, I just thought, man, this really speaks to me. But, it, but I, this is what, what came to me when I was writing my notes. We put God's approval on what appeals to us without testing whether or not it's from God. We put God's approval on what appeals to us. So I see this business, I see this relationship, I see this, um, whatever the case is, this ministry, I see this thing and it looks good to me, so therefore it must be God. Can I tell you something today? Just because it looks good to you and it looks good to me doesn't mean it's God for you or it's God for me. And we need to take that into consideration that God doesn't look the same way we do. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, this is a verse we use a lot. It says this: don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. What is he talking about there? He's not just saying, I want you to think different. He's saying, I want you to think like God. We need to think the way God thinks, with his perspective. Then you will learn to know what's God's will, uh, what God's will is for you, which is his good, pleasing, and perfect. Verse 7 says this in, in 1 Samuel 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Can I tell you today, God is not looking for the best. He's not looking for the most beautiful. He's not looking for the most talented. He's not looking for the most educated. He's not looking for the most money. God's looking for the one that's got the heart. That's what God looks for. And in every matter in life, God always judges the heart. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that, that in the end times, Jesus will judge the people. And, and he says whenever, um, the Bible says whenever he judges people, everybody's going to say, Lord, Lord. They're all going to claim to know him, but he's looking at their hearts, not just their lips. So we need to understand that, that God looks at our hearts. So in verse Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 16, 8, it says this, Then Jesse told his son, Abinadab, to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned uh, Shimei, but Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven, everybody say all seven. seven. See, here's the problem right now. I'm I'm about to get to the problem. Because it says all seven, but guess how many sons Jesse had? Eight. Eight. Yeah, see, you see the problem? All seven of the sons of Jesse were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Like, is this it? Are you sure? How many dads need to be asked? Are these all the kids you have? Like, shouldn't a dad know how many kids they have? But I guess after you've had seven, you can forget one or two, right? It says all these all, and and here's what Jesse says. There's still the youngest, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he has arrived. You want to know how to get people to hurry up? You tell them we ain't eating until that boy shows up. I bet they ran to get him. Um, Here's the thing I want you to notice. David was an afterthought. Jesse doesn't even know what Samuel's asking for. Jesse doesn't even know that Samuel's looking for a king. He just knows Samuel is bringing people in front of him. And Jesse presents all of his good boys. But there's one boy that he leaves out in the field. There's one boy that's just an afterthought. There's one boy that's not even considered. And I just want you to know today, there's some of us in this room that we feel like afterthoughts. There are times we feel like an afterthought at work. You feel like you've been passed over time and time again. There's times you feel like an afterthought at home in your relationships. There's times you feel like an afterthought or forgotten in your community. Maybe you feel like an afterthought today to God. Maybe God has forgotten me. Maybe God doesn't remember where I am. Maybe God has left me in this place Maybe God told me that he's going to heal me, but here I am still sick. Maybe God told me that he was going to bless me, but here I am still living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe God, maybe God has spoken over me that I was going to be doing something great for him, but here I am just working at the gas station. Sometimes we feel like an afterthought. But David was not an afterthought to God. See, that word chosen that we read earlier That word chosen means to see. In other words, even whenever you feel like you're in the backside of some field somewhere with a bunch of stinky sheep and goats and nobody cares about you and nobody knows where you are and nobody knows what you're doing. There's still a God that can see you exactly where you are. He doesn't have to look on the stage. He can look back in the nursery and he can find you back there changing diapers and wiping booties. Right. He can see you wherever you are. Because that's who God is. You're never an afterthought to Him. You may be an afterthought to the people around you. You may be an afterthought at your job. You may be an afterthought in your relationships. But you're never an afterthought to God. I want you to notice something else about David's life that was interesting to me. Now we know from later chapters that his brothers... Were soldiers like some of these dudes? They're fighting in battles. They're they're soldiers. But David was watching the sheep and the goats. And in that time, uh, shepherding was considered a servant's job. In other words, some scholars say that that Jesse probably was not very wealthy. Maybe why he had eight boys to do the work around the house and why David was out with the sheep because Jesse wasn't wealthy enough to hire a servant to do it. So he just kicked his eighth boy out and said, you go out there and be the servant. You go out there and do the job of a servant. But I want to tell you something you may feel today. Man, all I do is the job of a servant. Listen, there were times, I've told you my story plenty of times, but there was times whenever we were starting this church and, and we didn't have a lot of people and I was getting to church at 5 a.m. every Sunday morning and I was setting up chairs all by myself. And you know what I thought? I thought, God, do you even know where I am? Like all I'm doing is setting up chairs and this is miserable and I hate it. And, and I would get there and I would clean up the PlayStation and I would clean out the toilets and I would, I would go in and sweep the floors and I had to get things ready. And it was one of those moments I just thought, God, do you even know where I am? And it was like God spoke to me in in not necessarily in an audible way, but just a confirmation way to say that you need to learn how to serve. Because everybody in the Bible that does anything great for God starts as a servant. David was a servant. And last time I checked, the Bible says that Jesus came to serve and not be served. And so I want to encourage some of you today that you're just wondering about your position. You're just wondering about what you're supposed to be doing. Can I just encourage you? Just serve. Just serve those around you. Serve those above you. Serve those below you. Just learn to serve because it's in the service. It's in the service that God begins to elevate. In Matthew 23, uh, the Bible says this. I'm going to try to go quick. Matthew 23, the greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this, So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Listen, it was in watching those dirty sheep that God taught David how to lead people. It was in watching sheep that God taught David how to be a king. And a lot of times we want a title, and we want a position, and we want an elevation, and we want a promotion. But sometimes all we need is to serve and let God take care of everything else. Let God promote. Let God elevate. Let God exalt. The world says we got to fight for it, and I say you got to serve for it. So here we are. Last two verses. I made it. I did it. Not even time to go yet. First Samuel 16, 12 and 13. This is where we're going to end. So Jesse sent for him, talking about David. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So David stood there among his brothers. And Samuel took the flask of oil and he, that he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And Samuel returned to Ramah. Now I said I was at the end, but there's a lot to unpack. So let's get started. First thing I want you to see is that he was anointed, and what does that word mean? The word anoint means to smear, right? And so, uh, in 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 a lot of churches, and in our church also, we've got uh, an, uh, we've got oil. Just biblically, the Bible says that if you're sick come to the elders of the church and let them anoint your head with oil. Typically what you see is you see someone take a little bit of oil and they just put it on your head as they pray for you. You you see that it's fairly common in church world. But in the biblical time, the word anoint meant meant to smear. And so they would take the oil and they would take it on their whole hand and just rub it across their head. Or they would take the whole vial and they would pour it on top of them. And there was a significance to that because you only anointed certain people. You were only anointed to be sent into service. And so so you only anointed kings and prophets and priests. And so so whenever Samuel, nobody knows why Samuel's there. They think we're here for a barbecue. And then all of a sudden, David walks out and all his brothers are looking at him. And they're like, look at the rat. You know, look at, the, look at the, the, the shepherd boy. Look at the stinky guy. And what does Samuel do? Samuel pulls out the oil and he begins to pour it. And now all of a sudden, it begins to click with everybody. Something significant is happening right now. And I think it's cool that the word anointed is transferred over into the New Testament. Because there's a certain person called the anointed one. And that word in the Greek is Christ. Christos. Anointed one. Jesus. Did you know that Christ wasn't his last name? A lot of y'all thought that was his last name. It's not his last name. His last name was of Joseph or of Nazareth. But it wasn't Christ. He is Jesus the Christ. Jesus the anointed one. The king, the priest, and the prophet all wrapped into one. So I think it's cool how David is anointed and then Jesus will be anointed later. The other thing that I think is cool is on that verse, it says the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and was powerfully, powerfully in him from that day forward. The Holy Spirit began to empower and prepare David for something that wouldn't happen for another probably 20 years. See, David gets anointed king, but the Bible says that he doesn't become king Until later on, he might have been 10, 11, 12 years old here. He's a kid. He doesn't become king until he's in his 30s. And so there's this whole time frame that he's got to be prepared. This whole time frame that he's got from being anointed to know what my calling is until I actually step into it. Some of us feel very antsy with God. There was times in my life when I was very antsy and impatient with God because I thought I'm supposed to be a pastor. I feel a calling to be a pastor. Why am I not a pastor? And I almost took pastoral jobs that I should never have taken. And thank God I've got a wife that said, Gabriel, you are not ready. Because I wasn't. I wasn't. Why? God was preparing me for this. God prepared David. How? With the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? We, we can do whole sermons on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit works in us. The Bible says he produces the fruit of the Spirit in us. He works through us. The Bible says that he gives us gifts of the Spirit to work through us. And he works alongside us. The Bible says he's an advocate. He's a comforter. He's the, the paraclete, which is a legal term for meaning come alongside you. So there was a lot of that that was going on in David's life where the Holy Spirit was working on him. Saul didn't have that. Saul just jumped right into being king. David has years to be prepared. So sometimes whenever you're feeling like you're being left behind, sometimes you feel like God's not moving fast enough for you, you need to, you need to take a little bit of patience and say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're wanting to do in me and through me and alongside me during this time of waiting? And the, the next thing that it says is Samuel just went back to Ramah. He just left. Samuel anoints him and then leaves. It doesn't make any sense. Every other time in the scriptures, whenever someone's anointed king, they immediately have an uprising. They immediately have a revolt. They immediately go fight the the king that's in place. But Samuel just walks away and leaves David. No instructions, no nothing. Just see ya, you're on your own, you and the Holy Spirit. He just left him there in the field with a bunch of sheep. And so something I want you to notice as we get into the story of David, you're going to see this be portrayed. He's anointed and he's enthroned. And there's about 20 years, there's about 20 years worth of shepherding, serving, and suffering that he has to go through. 20 years of shepherding, serving, and suffering. And I just want you to see this today. God sees shepherds and servants. If you feel today that you're a shepherd or a servant, you feel today that you're left behind, that you're forgotten, can I just tell you today, God sees you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. God sees you today. Here's the other thing. God sends his spirit. God sends his spirit to guide us, protect us, empower us, and produce something inside of us. And the last thing is this, God uses our suffering to make us stronger, and he sustains us in that suffering. Listen, suffering is part of life. I just had a conversation with a friend of mine um, earlier this week. He called me up. He said, Gabriel, I'm, I'm dying. The doctors have given me so many, you know, a year to live he says, my life is messed up. My family's messed up. He said, I've, I've done a lot of this to myself. And, and he began to tell me about his, about his life and how bad it was and how tragic it was. And, and one of the things he said is, he said, but every time I've tried to get right with God, I feel like everything just goes wrong. He says, every time I try to give my heart to God, everything tends to go wrong. And I, and I, I was talking to him on the phone and I said, listen, here's the bottom line. The Bible never promises us sunshine and rainbows. As a matter of fact, it promises the opposite. Jesus says, in this life, you will have trouble. We sang a song about it earlier. In this life, you will have trouble. But it doesn't mean that he's forgotten you. It doesn't mean that he's abandoned you. It just means we live in a fallen world. And you've made a bunch of terrible choices that are catching up to you now. But it doesn't mean God has forgotten you. And here's what Peter said. Peter said this. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So let's just focus on that for a second. In his kindness, God called you to share in the glory. What is that going to look like? Here's what he says. So after you have suffered a little while. Peter, this is not an encouraging message, buddy. Like you're telling me I'm going to share in the glory of God. And then you tell me I'm going to suffer. He will restore you, support you, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Can I tell you something today? Just because you're struggling, just because you're going through a hard time, doesn't mean God has forgotten you. God still loves you. He still cares for you. He still sustains you and we want to think that that well if i go to church every sunday morning then my life is going to be perfect and it's going to be wonderful and everything's going to go just right and i'm going to be just like david and i'm going to be anointed king and i'm going to kill all the giants and i'm going to wear the throne The fact is, he went through 20 years of struggle. He went through 20 years of being stuck in a field with a bunch of sheep. He went through 20 years of serving a man that was trying to kill him. He went through 20 years of living in caves and ditches because his life was full of suffering. One of the verses that they reject, that that a lot of times uh, the, the Jewish culture will reject, is out of Isaiah. And it's called the Suffering Messiah. Because people don't want a God that suffers, but Jesus came and he suffered. Why? So that we wouldn't have to? No, no, no. We're still going to have to at times so that we know that there's a God that sympathizes with us and knows exactly what we're going through. Why don't you stand up this morning? We're going to pray. And I know we got stuff to do outside, man. We got things to play and fun to be had. But I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for you this morning. And we're going to pray right in our seats today. We're just going to stay right here and we're going to, we're going to believe the Holy Spirit's going to do a work in us right here. So why don't you just close your eyes with me today. Nobody looking around, just an opportunity right here just to get alone with God. And I don't know what it is that spoke to you today through that verse. I know whenever I read it, there's a lot of it that spoke to me. There was times when I really understood Samuel's position about, about feeling like my dream is dead or feeling like my, my calling is gone. And, and there was times when I just needed God to say, hey, you got to stop mourning. Your time for mourning is over. It's time to pick up your flask and go. And that may be you today. There may be something in your life that, that God's telling you it's time to get up. It's time to move. It's time to take action. Maybe for you today it was uh, the, the part about David being overlooked and forgotten and sitting out in a field somewhere and nobody knowing his own family forgetting about him. Maybe that was you today and you need to know today that God sees you right where you are. Or maybe it was uh, the last part about the suffering to understand that, yes, David went through some hard times, even though he was called, even though he was anointed, but he still went through a time of suffering, but God never forgot his promise to him. Or maybe today you're not serving God at all. Maybe today you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And maybe today you need to give your heart to Him because God's looking not for your outward appearance. God's not looking for your church attendance. God's not looking for how well you're dressed. God's not looking for how much money is your, in your bank account. God's not looking for how talented you are or how gifted you are or whether or not you can sing or preach or do anything special. God's looking for your heart today. And what He wants is your heart all he asked for is your heart and maybe you've never given him that maybe you've never surrendered that to him your mind will and emotions you've never given him that whatever the case is today I want to pray with you right where you are so if you say, Gabriel, today I need prayer for one of those areas. There's something going on in my life right now. Maybe you need to give your heart to God or maybe you just are dealing with one of those other things. Just slip your hand up right now. Nobody's looking around and I'm not gonna call you out. I just wanna know who needs prayer. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray right now. And as I pray, I want you to pray. I want you to be bold. I want you to be courageous. I want you to talk to God for yourself. God does not wanna hear me pray. He wants to hear you pray. He wants your heart And so God, right now, I just... I just come before you and I pray for everybody with their hands raised today. I pray for those that may be suffering today. Maybe they're hurt today. Maybe they're broken today. And God, they're they're wondering today if you even see them, if you even know them. God, they're stuck in a field somewhere. They, they feel like they've been overlooked and outcast. God, they, they, they feel like nobody remembers them. And I just pray today that your spirit would move on their lives. God, that you would show them that you see them. You know where they are and you love them. And you have a plan, God, that just because one thing is dead doesn't mean that you don't have a plan for their future and so god today i pray that you would begin to reveal that to our hearts holy spirit we invite you into this place to bring comfort and peace to those of us god that are suffering and hurting and we don't know if we're going to make it through but god to know that you've got a plan for us and you are going to walk us through that God, for those today that that need to give their whole hearts to you, that need to surrender their mind, their will, their emotions, God, I pray today that they would believe in you, that they would repent, they would turn from their old life of sin. Just like Everett and just like Gala today, as they were baptized, that the old man dies, the old will dies, the old heart dies, and a new man is raised up out of the water. I pray today that they would give you their hearts.